a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they develop to live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And Michelle, today we're going to talk to each other Woo-hoo. about some of the <laughs> things we've learned over the last, you know, however many episodes. We often talk about how grief or a trial can impact different people differently. Mm-hmm. And even in the same household, the same family, a couple in a marriage going through a trial will each experience it differently. You and I both know we experience it differently from each other, differently from our children. But there's also the difference in how you experience grief and how you process loss within the same person at different moments in time. So let's talk a little bit about that. You and I process things differently. I process things differently from my kids. But I today in 2023 might experience the same loss differently than I did in 2018 when that loss was brand new and so shocking and overwhelming. So we want to kind of dive into that a little bit, the individuality of grief, but the evolutionary nature of it. That sounds amazing. So let's let's get started. So what do you want to tell me? Let's say it's been five years for both of us now. Five years. Can you believe it? Five years. Oh, that's crazy. You know, sometimes it feels to me like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. and other times it feels like it, like a separate lifetime. Yeah. Like I was a different person. It, yeah. Like it almost doesn't even belong to me. Right. I think easily both of us could say we feel like a, a different person, and not in a bad way. You know, sometimes people looking from the outside, it's easy to be critical or mm-hmm. judgmental and think, oh, you've just completely changed. You're no longer who you were. No, I'm, I'm a continuation of exactly who I was. Yeah. And I have adapted and evolved with what life has presented me, and so have my kids. Mm -hmm. And yet, it does feel almost like a fuzzy dream sometimes to think back. You know, my cute little Caroline, she's my timekeeper. She's five. She'll be six this fall. She has no memories of her own, Brent. There's just no way she does. She was two months old the day he left. So we're talking newborn asleep 90% of the day. And she'll say things, you know, Father's Day. Is, is a day that sometimes kids who've lost a father might love or hate that day, probably hate that day. And she wanted to draw pictures and she wanted to talk about daddy. Half the time she'll call him Brent. She'll be like, oh, my dad Brent? You mean my dad Brent? Because she's heard him mm-hmm. spoken about kind of in that third person and hasn't ever had him around to say daddy. But I'm noticing in myself different processing of different emotions. And I've heard some people label it secondary loss. In fact, one of our recent guests mentioned that term. And I do not know, full disclaimer, I do not know the technical definition of secondary loss. But what it triggered in me was thinking that it's not just the loss of the person who is now buried in the ground and no longer here, but the loss of the opportunities you didn't get in the future. But I've also found myself really nostalgic lately over the loss, even before the loss of Brent, the loss of quality time with one child because I'm trying to be with another child or the loss of time in life, because life is so busy that half the time we just go through the motions and don't realize what's happening. And as I get to that five-year mark, as all of my children grow, 
I think I'm gaining, I don't know if it's a, it's a different awareness. I won't call it better or worse because I don't think the last four or five years have been bad or missed, but I'm finding myself kind of at a crossroad or a transition to where I really kind of want to just step back from everything and soak it all in, which Mm -hmm. is interesting because my instinct and, and really my personality, the way for me to cope with that initial grief was to try and serve, try and give back. Some of the speaking or patriotic things I've been a part of have been hugely cathartic and healing. And as I've reflected over that, I feel like that was kind of the put my oxygen mask on. You know, they tell you on a plane, put your own Mm -hmm. oxygen mask on. I feel like now I've kind of gotten my own oxygen mask on. I'm a little more aware. And as my kids are becoming more aware of their own loss as they get a little older, I feel like now I'm in a better position to try to help them navigate it. Whereas before, I was so overwhelmed and so shocked that I don't know that I would have been very helpful to anybody because I was trying to get my own feet under me. And a lot of my kids, you know, the way they were reacting or to their grief was different too. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling now, but it's been this last several months, I have felt something within me kind of pivoting and shifting to where we're having different conversations in our home. We're bringing Brent up and involving him in, in our household in different ways, not better or worse again, mm-hmm. but it's it's just changed. And I find myself sometimes nostalgic, not just for the time we've lost him since his passing, but I'm I'm nostalgic for the 15 years he and I lived together that were just so busy and full mm-hmm. of young marriage and trying to start a career and going to school and pregnancy and little babies. Like, that's chaos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the couples my age now, they're getting to the point in their marriage where kids are growing, kids are graduating, the couples maybe reconnecting and enjoying that time together as life settles into a little more established. And yet, that's not our family situation. Mm-hmm. But I am experiencing that to a degree with my kids at home. And so it's just been different is the word I just keep coming to. We are experiencing a different grief and a different growth now. We're not sitting around crying in shock and horror. Nobody's as angry as maybe some of the anger at first was in our home. And I think there's a new level of acceptance and even an almost a, almost like a feeling of empowerment. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is what's happened to us. This is what it is. Now what? Yeah. What direction do we want to go? How do we want to get there? And how can we maybe get there together while respecting each other's individual grief, but Are you recognizing guys asking we're yourself together? a lot of questions? Yeah. Yeah. Like, because grief is so individual, like, maybe the questions are, what does this loss mean to you? Yeah. And what we- lesson did it teach you for each individual? And what could support look like for you? Mm -hmm. Because, again, I think my human nature is to help people the way we would want to be helped. Yeah. But that's baloney in a household full of different personalities, right? And every household has different personalities. I'm a little bit envious of you (laughs) because my children are all adults. I only I have Hunter back in my house and has been for the last year and a half. But besides him, my children are busy in their lives. Um, They've gone all very different directions. I don't have the time with them to really like, it's not something I want to bring up with them if they're not bringing it up to me, you know? 
Well, it and doesn't ever do any good to force it. I we no. both found that. Yeah. yeah. You know, grief is something, it's like when it's wanted to be shared, it's awesome. And when it's not wanted to be shared, it's not good for anybody. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting process, isn't it? But yeah. I think asking those questions, those especially are good questions with, to ask. with, you know, when you have so many kids under your roof, you know, it would be a great almost... Let, let's work on this. Let's and I think, ask, what, what did this lesson, you know, what did that loss well, mean and to even, you? Even and what, more more superficial than what did it mean to you, I find if I'm ever able to ask my kids or get in a conversation about what they remember, mm-hmm. how did how did they even experience it without yeah. even processing the depth of the meaning, right? the memories of what the funeral was like. Well, or, and some and, kids are not at that right, level, but right. your older kids are. And my older kids can be, we, you, you can ask them like, what, what, recently, what are the lessons learned here? Because they, in asking the question, they might not have ever even developed thought a thought of, have yeah. I learned a lesson here? Yep. And they might start seeking for meaning. Right. And helping them find that. Yeah. We my I can't remember how, if I've said this on the air or just in passing, but my middle daughter is she should just grow up and work for CSI. She just loves all the details of a crime or an incident. She asks all the gory, inappropriate, uncomfortable <laughs> questions that make like even the preschool teacher kind of squirm and let alone grandma. Is this Ellie? This is Ellie. <laughs> this is my cute Ellie. We recently had a friend of ours, a family friend uh-huh. who was older and passed away. And I was telling the kids I'd be gone to the funeral and the viewing and visitation, some people call it. And I was explaining to her that I was going to go to this and I'd be back and the, the kids could just stay home with each other. And she asked me about the viewing part. And she said, will you see his body in the casket? I think she called it a coffin. Will you see the body? I said, well, that's kind of up to the family and how they do that. And and turned out they did. They had an open mm-hmm. casket, wonderful older gentleman, all dressed in his military uniform and kind of displayed there for all guests to see. But then Ellie asked me, she said, well, why didn't we do that for dad? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, we did. We had, we had like a three-hour viewing. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? The whole world was there. She doesn't remember that at all. She doesn't mm-hmm. remember that there was... Uh, the, the, but there the actually separate, wasn't a the, viewing, was but there? there wasn't an open casket. Right. And that was very intentional. So interestingly, Ellie brought this up at some point, And then within days, maybe a week or so, but I swear it was within days, it also came up with Megan, who's my oldest. And it led to two very different but both valuable conversations with these two girls, different ages, mm-hmm. different stages of life, definitely different personalities. Like Megan and Ellie are very, very different from each other. But it was a good opportunity to kind of have that conversation with each of them. But I realized that wasn't something we decided as a family. I didn't ask the four, five, and six-year-old, do we or don't we open the casket? It was me consulting with the general officer of the military and based on the reports of the incident that had happened and the nature of the wound to the head, that it was just determined it would be better to close the casket, put a flag on top, and display pictures. I never saw Brent's body because that, for me, I think would still be haunting me. I don't know how I'd close my eyes and not see that. Not to be very graphic, but he died from a gunshot wound to the head. I've read the death report. There's an entry and an exit point for that bullet. Like, I don't need to see that. I certainly didn't feel my children needed to see that, let alone the city and everyone else because we had a very public viewing. Right. But it's interesting. Now, almost five years later, these two out of my seven children have, have recently vocalized that they almost wish they could have seen him. You know, again, it's that, I think it's the human search for closure. Yeah. And it led to a, a conversation to where I kind of explained some of my thinking, asked some of their questions. We had a very good dialogue on both levels, separate, the, the two girls. 
But it just made me realize, you know, how much of their experience of their father's death did they have zero control over? They, I mean, I feel like I hardly planned the funeral because everything was so public, but they certainly didn't. And they didn't choose for him to even deploy. They didn't choose for him to join the military. A lot of the choices he and I made mm-hmm. or I made maybe in, in the wake, immediate wake of his death. So, but those, those conversations, what does it mean to my children? I think they even start with, well, what do you remember about that day? Because mm-hmm. there's, there's some side conversations that have come up here and there about either the right away when Brent died or those first few weeks or what life was like immediately where the kids and I remember things very differently. Yeah. Their experience isn't the same as mine and it's just not. On the whole viewing thing, you know, a lot of people are like, they don't do viewings. It doesn't matter what injury, non-injury condition. It doesn't matter. They just don't do them. Other people that is, that's their culture and, and that's what they do. And it's very much between probably the culture of the faith, the religion, and the culture of the family itself. The family and the community, yeah. So my husband's grandfather died, and my daughter was two, and she wanted to see her grandpa. And I think I must have been pregnant with Haley. But for some reason, I just got, I couldn't hold her up, or or it wasn't a good angle, or whatever. I moved a chair over to the top of the casket and I let her climb up to the chair and, and let look. her see her, her great grandpa. And she leaned over and gave him a kiss on the head. Mm. And I later heard that my mother-in-law was really bothered by that. Interesting. That she didn't feel like it was appropriate for a child that young to view a dead body, a dead body. and to also and kiss to touch. it, sure. to touch it, that she actually kissed his head. I didn't see anything wrong with it at all. Yeah. And I have, I, I'm, I'm this way with sexuality. I'm, I'm this way with a lot of areas of my life. I'm very open. This is what it is. Very There's no shame. Sure. There's no shame. And I felt that we had spent a lot of time with her, that great grandpa. And I wanted her to understand why he wasn't going to be there any longer. And we were there the day that he died, although I don't remember having my young children with us and when they came and got his body um, from the house. But I, I'm i like, it was just a part of what it was. Right. Interesting. And so for me, I didn't care that, that it bothered anybody else. And and I just figured... But I think that's, that's the acknowledgement that it can, something that might bring one person mm-hmm. peace and comfort and closure. I hate the word closure, but you know what I mean. Right. To one person might be, there is a little bit of closure in that, right? Like yeah. for me, I did do need to touch a body. Like mm-hmm. I, I've been to several. If I was close with them, as soon as I touch their body, I can feel that there is no spirit. That is no longer in the that person. Yeah, that. Okay. The, it's like my brain Fair says enough. connected, gone. Yeah. And it's like my brain closes off, can and, and that. there is some closure there. Acceptance. Yeah. yeah, except this is person's no longer here on this earth. So it's really interesting. We're going to close up this for just a second. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. back. So it is interesting all of the different ways that we have of going about it. I went to a friend who committed suicide and he had a head injury and um, they wrapped the head in gauze. I don't know. Mm. if I don't know exactly what that was. All. Sure. I mean, I'm sure it was the injury. They didn't want it sure. to be seen. I don't know exactly. Entry exit. I don't know anything right. about right. that. It was a bit of closure for me, but was also it? a little bit disturbing, even yeah. though it was completely covered and it was wrapped and I in think gauze. Different. I think what you've hit on is different. Different people can process that differently, and yeah. that's okay. And yeah. it's not one is right and one is wrong. So I said I I did not see Brent's body, but many of Brent's family and and one of the members of my family who who chose to did. We made that available. I did not make that available to my young children simply because of their yeah. age. And I and I told my girls I said that. You know that's something I can't undo. Right. That's and I and I, I don't necessarily expect them to agree with me. They might mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I wish my mom would have," and in which case they'll maybe live with that for a long time. But I did want them to see my thinking behind it, and then we can respect the fact that we might think differently about it. Yeah. And so I think that's what that's where I've been lately, and I'm sure a lot of it's because Megan just graduated. Right. She's the first to leave. She's about to leave. Caroline's going to kindergarten. Time continues to march forward. Megan's getting to the point where she's joking about me remarrying as long as there's enough money involved, which I know she's totally <laughs> joking. But then my my littler kids, I, I'll hear different things. There'll be one of them who'll say they, they want to, Ellie again, at one point said she wanted me to remarry because she wanted to have a dad again. Mm-hmm. But then the same little Ellie, not long later, she has some friends whose parents just got divorced. And she, they must have had with the little friends some conversation about remarriage because then she was very nervous that that would mean she'd have a new dad instead. Mm-hmm. And so we had the conversation that if there ever were another stepfather type of figure that would never take away, mm-hmm. your father will always be your father. And But again, those those conversations that they weren't, the timing wasn't right or the opportunity didn't present itself. I don't feel like we've swept anything under the rug. I've just been impressed at how life has unfolded for the past four and a half or five years to where I've seen each of my kids kind of evolve. I've evolved. The world has evolved. I mean, mm-hmm. Michelle, what is different about 2023 oh. from 2018? Right. Everything. Everything. We're talking pre-COVID by a year, a year and mm-hmm. a half, and the world changed. We've had a generational shift in less than five years. John yeah. and Brent might not recognize America today they and wouldn't. the world today. It's so different. Absolutely. And that's all played into this Brent process. Brent might be wondering all kinds of things, like why he chose to serve, what's going on. I've asked myself government how, policies. how I responded to this or COVID, responded to yeah. that. Yeah. You know, federal policies on COVID vaccines. And sure. Like, where Military. would he? I think about those things all yeah. the time, too. My husband was very libertarian in his politics, super conservative. I would say way more than I 
I am. He yeah. loved Trump um, in 2016. I wonder yeah. would he love Trump <laughs> I today? The same. I wonder how that would have played out in our marriage. What would that look like? Yeah. You know, so I, I wonder about all of those things, but, you know, sometimes it's hard not to. Yeah. Like, and I think it's okay to let yourself wonder. And it's also okay to say, and it kind of is a dead end. Right. I think I, I think I shared recently that I, it's almost kind of fun to kind of go, I wonder what that what would if. be. Yeah. But then it, it, it has no nowhere good. to go. Well, it just has nowhere to go because ultimately you don't know. I don't know. I don't and know. I never will know because he's because not here I didn't and know I can't Brent ask him. in this environment. I'll yeah. say that with teenagers, you know, I would, would my teenagers respect or obey or listen to me better or worse oh my than gosh. if Brent were I know. Here? Hard to say, you know, but I found, so do you my, find yourself, I do this a lot. Do you find yourself going, oh, what would Brent do with this kid right now? Oh, what would, time. so yeah. I. Instead of and saying, sometimes I want to pass it off and say, your problem, honey, I'm done. Right. And sometimes I want to be like, ooh, you'd be able to better be here to back me up because, right. yeah, it's bold. Yeah. I, instead of asking myself so much what he would have done, I ask myself, what would John tell me about the situation? Because mm, how like John that. and I parented and connected to each other was we'd climb into bed and the first 15 minutes of being in bed was like a digest yeah. of recapping the, of the, day. Fa- the breakdown of the family, of what the relationships, what was going on, the dynamics and, and what I was struggling with. And usually he had great advice for me and then that would help me relax and be able to go to sleep. Let it go for the night. So John, if I didn't climb into bed before he, he did, he would fold his arms over his chest and be asleep. be asleep in 30 seconds. And then I would toss and turn (laughs) for an hour or two, but he learned to do that with me. He learned to give me that 15, 20 minute digest. And, And then it, you know, it would shift and like maybe we would watch a movie or, you know, other relationships. Okay, so that's stuff. interesting. That, <laughs> other relationships. I love you. So that's interesting because we've talked about that, how you and I feel like we've we've grown and we've, mm-hmm. we're different people than we were. You know, there are times when I look back in those moments, I think, man, I wish Brent were here. What if Brent were here? But I've also found my own strength. Mm-hmm. In recognizing he's not here or physically. I for, I don't think anybody is surprised to hear me say I still believe he's a part of the existence of my life. Yes. I, I believe in a life I after believe death. That too. I believe the energy and the influence continues. So I'm not just caveat that I don't think he's gone, but he's not here. Let's right. be honest. He's not in that bed next to me. Right. He's not sitting down to dinner with us and he's not ever coming home from war. And we as don't Megan often expressed. get direct words, right? No. But you think influence mm-hmm. or based on the conversations we had, what might he think? But I've also gotten to the point where I'm learning, and I think that's kind of the transition of this summer and this last little while. And I th- and you've helped me and other people that I've talked to, just little snippets of conversations that have kind of resonated in my ears, have helped me realize, but I'm the parent that's here. And I can continue to be influenced by Brent and the wonderful relationship we had and the brilliant man that he was. And I can also make decisions as a mom. And yeah. I can have my own two feet to stand on. Because I'll tell you, sometimes it's it's easy. And maybe I've mentioned this before, too. It's easy to just magically assume that if Brent had not died, life would be then perfect. Because right. clearly that's the only thing wrong. Ha, right. ha, right? <laughs> and, I, and maybe I've shared this before, too. Today's a day of a lot of reflection. Lincoln and I, my oldest son, particularly when he was in his anger of anger, which lasted Mm -hmm. kind of a while. Heaven bless his friends that helped pull him out of it, plus just maturity and growth and time. But there was one day he was just angry and I was just angry and I was sick of the anger. Like, hey, I lost your dad too. Like, knock this off, Mm -hmm. right? And I said to him, 
would you treat me like this if your father were still alive? And he looked straight at me and said, I don't know. And that was a huge turning point because in my mind, I'm thinking, you would never speak to me like this if your Mm -hmm. father were alive. You would be obedient. You would fall in line. You would Mm -hmm. be the picture perfect son because your dad was here to hold that. When in reality, maybe not. Right. Maybe he'd be mad at Brent for being alive. Maybe he'd be mad because he's a teenager. Maybe he'd be mad because maybe he, he be was mad, mad because maybe he whatever. served. Sure. Right. And, and he right. was never around all that much yep. anyway. Right. No, there's a lot of maybes. But that moment kind of freed me from thinking, oh, if Brent were here, I could perfectly parent. If Brent were here, the dishes would be done. If Brent were here, the lawn <laughs> would be mowed. I don't know that he'd even mow the lawn. He would have planted all of his tomatoes, but I'm not sure. The, the garden for sure would be different if Brent were here. That is 100% true. But I think I've gotten to the point now, again, it's that oxygen mask. I don't know that I realized that first year or two after Brent died, how badly I was struggling just to breathe. Yeah. Because I had a superhuman power keeping me on my feet and I would have opportunities to speak or, or, or say something where I would be uplifted by the words that came out of my mouth. I knew they weren't my own and I was just carried along in this bubble, this fog. And I look back now and I think, oh my gosh, I was a mess. Yeah. I was I was fragile. I was broken. There's no way I could have had the backbone to jump straight from day one to year five. And yet today we're almost to year five and I feel like I've I've got a backbone. Mm-hmm. Like for the longest time, Brent was my backbone and I miss that. Yeah. He, Brent was for 100%. sure my decompress mm-hmm. and, and that was way better than no decompress. But I think I dipped down to where I thought I can't handle life without Brent. Well, I'm lost. What do I do? And now I'm kind of coming back up realizing... Yes, it was much better with him, but me and the kids, we can do this. Mm -hmm. And there's an empowerment to say, I can be sad, I can be angry, I can let myself feel that grief Mm -hmm. and really process it. I can also be very nostalgic and reflective for a time, and then I have to kind of Mm -hmm. shake it off because I'm turning into just a puddle of what if, and that Mm -hmm. does no good. But it's it's been an interesting year. 2023 has been, pandemics mostly disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we're coming out of a lot of those things that were the initial darkness. And I think I'm kind of proud of us. Mm-hmm. Like I look at my kids and there's things they do that drive me crazy that maybe I wish they did or didn't. But they're they're doing well. Mm-hmm. They're doing great. Focusing on kind of what we what we do have. Father's Day, we I got a whole bunch of pictures and just printed them because most pictures are only digital. Printed a whole bunch of pictures of all the kids from all the way to Caroline to Meg. Gave them each kind of their set that had Brent with each of them. And just let them kind of do their own thing with mm-hmm. it. I, I wasn't sure how to one size fits all it. Like we're mm-hmm. not going to all just look at pictures of dad and laugh or right. cry. But hey, here's some for you. Here's some for you. And, and they each reacted their own way. But at one point during the day when we were all in the kitchen and eating together, there was kind of a moment that arose where I just found myself saying something like, I'm, I'm just really sorry that your dad's not here. Like I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for each of you that you don't have a living father. Like that, that mm-hmm. makes me sorry. And... I hope that at some point today you also recognize the fact that you have a really awesome father. Like you said several times with John, mm-hmm. they didn't choose to leave. They didn't abandon us. They don't. They haven't forgotten about us. I know it hurts them to be away from us. And there was kind of this beautiful moment with me and my kids is where some memories make you laugh, some memories make you cry, some memories in between. But we realized even though they don't have a living father, they're pretty lucky to have a father that, that loved them, mm-hmm. that... that that when he was there, was there. And anyway, so we've, I feel like we've gotten, we're getting our legs under us. We're able to have more open conversations. There's a little distance between everything happening and the pandemic and all of that. And now, and I'm, I find myself more excited about 
moving forward Mm -hmm. rather than, okay, I guess I finally can maybe kind of move forward because that's better than just sitting here. And that's, it's a mind shift that's been helpful for me to recognize some capacity in myself that maybe now I know how to breathe. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can find a child that needs an oxygen mask. So fortunately, they've yeah. all stayed alive the last five years, and that is 100% thanks to the grace of God and good people around me. And no kidding, because like the, I the emergency room bills oh, are not real. cheap with your family. Oh, my family. gosh, so many, so many. It's like, oh, my gosh. I, we are I've frequent seen, flyers at the Pleasant View Emergency Center. I've seen another post by Jenny. Is it going to be an are. injury? Here we are. We're going to take a break. I have some questions on a different level, oh. not child-related, Here we just go. for you when we okay. come back. we're back. Jenny, all of the things you talked about, I totally relate to. Like, it's a process. It's a journey. It is so unique and individual. But I wanted to talk about more personally, directly to you. You're- I feel Michelle just like staring into my soul. For those of you listening, <laughs> picture Michelle staring into my soul. We've actually talked about this last week after our podcast. Yeah, and we were outside. out on the street. But, you know, you're this really active Mormon and and in the culture of being an active Latter-day Saint, you know, your role in the house was to be the mom. You stayed at home. You raised these kids. A lot of all of that fell on you as he was out not only doing his uh, duty as a father and as a member of the church and as a mayor and then as a soldier. A, a soldier. Yeah. And, and then he was gone a lot. So a lot of that burden, a lot of what you are doing is a continuation as if he was on deployment anyway, right? right? And sometimes it does, you get caught in that moment like, hey, we're used to Brent not being here. Right. Just usually planned he'd come back sometime. Right. Exactly. But I want to talk about how this journey in the five years has changed you because you have moved from being this very traditional kind of stay-at-home mom. You didn't have your own journey, your own life outside of being that role of mother mm-hmm. and now you're a role of a provider the finance director the you know all, all of the things and in addition to that you have created a foundation for Brent that foundation has done amazing things not only scholarships you've got the, follow, the not follow the flag sorry um the foundation still does mm-hmm. the flags yeah. right yeah, it's but all we're good under friends the foundation with flag, right yeah. right but you've got all of these relationships going on. You are speaking. You are, you're asked to speak a lot. People are paying you to speak. All of those things are really great and wonderful. But that is all things that are outside the home. Right. So, okay, let's talk about that. First of all, full disclaimer, Brent and I very consciously both chose together those mm-hmm. traditional roles. Right. It wasn't him twisting my arm. It wasn't me being a no. doormat. Right. right. That's just uh, disclaimer. Right. I also think it was a different time. Like I look at, even though, again, it was only a few years ago, it feels like a hundred years, a hundred lifetimes ago. I know. A lot of families I, now have to it be is, two, yeah. two, it's two just, income families. But that wasn't your no, no agreement. Our, our that choice, wasn't your setup. Like, okay. So you have to know, to know me and Brent, like we are both so, we're just totally nerds, totally very business oriented. We're very logic driven, both of us. Like it's somebody like me probably should never marry someone like him. Cause there's just, there's like so left brained, but on our honeymoon, which was two and a half days to park city. Cause we both had to be back to work by Monday. <laughs> 
we had what we jokingly called the Park City Accords because that's <laughs> just us. And at the Park City Accords, like wherever we were at our honeymoon, there was a little outdoor table. We were sitting down together and we kind of discussed right then and there. Yeah, you had what to plan ourselves. We did. <laughs> we had what these roles would be. And this was before we had children. I had just received my bachelor's degree. He was still doing his bachelor's. And, and we had, he had just joined the military, but we, we made a very conscious decision. Mm-hmm. And then I remember really falling into that decision. And it was, again, it was not a forced thing. It was a very chosen thing. And I'll admit there was probably some days when I was kind of high and mighty about it. Like mm-hmm. I am choosing to be home with my children while the rest of you women are chasing all these dreams and careers. I now see that so differently. So mm-hmm. that's my first disclaimer. Mm-hmm. But for the 15 years that Brent and I were both alive and married together, that was 100% our agreement. Now, the trick was Brent was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. And I mean a lot. Like right. for, for one thing, we'll, we'll hit our 20th anniversary this fall. Mm-hmm. I will have spent 10 of those 20 September 18ths with him somewhere. I will have spent five of them with him away to war. Mm-hmm. And I will have spent five of them with him under the ground. Like So that's... 10 of the 15 already, and 15 is not that many to start with, mm-hmm. although it's more than many. Another caveat. So when Brent died and all of a sudden the world presented all of these opportunities that I really felt were God-guided, like, and that's my faith, and, and you mm-hmm. can question it if you want, but I will never question There's it. There's no judgment. I, yeah. I mean, every, I, we all get to choose, right? Yeah. In, my, in, in, a, in the faith I believe in, we believe a lot in callings. You're mm-hmm. called to serve as a teacher with the little children, or you're called to serve as this position or that position. I really felt, and it was early on, I remember kind of being bitter in in the first part of my grief because I just wanted to go home and like process my own grief and be with my kids. And I kept being pulled so many directions. And I remember what to me was guidance from God through Holy Spirit or whatever word you use, that this first year wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. It belonged to America. The whole, mm-hmm. the, And it was this opportunity to kind of open a viewpoint of a fallen soldier in a way that most people prefer privacy. Now I'm not going to lie. Privacy would have been pretty epic, Mm -hmm. but I felt again, compelled or called that this was a story to share for the better of understanding of military in general. So that whole first year, it was, if anybody asked me to be anywhere, I said, yes. And I remember almost bargaining with God, like, wait a second, if I'm everywhere else, who's home with my children? And there were family members, wonderful neighbor girl, Ashley, shout out to Ashley, who was like nanny of the year without me even realizing how much she did. But it's like for that one year, I was just gone, to be honest, just Mm -hmm. mentally or physically. Then as time kind of went on, I started to realize, well, I could say yes or no to some of those invitations, which was kind of mind blowing Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel that way at first. I, I could tell people, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do that or I can't make it. And then I found they would, like, reschedule it around me. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, you mean if I tell you I'm not available, like, you'll let me come next time? Oh, you mean there's a next time? And so that kind of gave me some more freedom. Big change happened about a year and a half ago when I decided I wanted to go back to PTA, which I know makes you laugh and most people <laughs> listening. I love PTA with all my soul. I tease her about I it. Know, That's why she's saying it's, that. It's because I'm a school teacher at heart. Right. Which is funny because I only ever taught school for two years. But looking back, all my time volunteering at my kids' school was kind of half of a career fulfillment for me. Mm-hmm. It, it was an outlet. It was a contribution where I could pick the time and kind of the hours and I could still be home with my children. But hindsight has helped me realize that that was a passion for me. And for me to try to stifle that would have been detrimental to my kids. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, in these last couple of years, particularly post-pandemic, 
I've realized there are things, skills I have or opportunities I can take advantage of that, yes, they take me out of my home, but they make me a better mother. They make me a better person. And quite honestly, they're good for my psychology. Mm -hmm. So it is that ever elusive balance everyone Mm -hmm. talks about of, of home and work life or home and influencer life or whatever. But I have found balance is a verb. It's not a state. I, I don't know a single person who's perfectly balanced in any moment all day long, but I can be balancing. And that means at some point I might be gone more than I'm home. And at some point I'm home more than I'm gone. But I've had to learn to give myself permission to do that. I've had to learn. And there's still, you know, you call it the mom guilt or what. There's still the times when I'm, I'm somewhere that I know I need to be. And I feel very strongly about where I am or an assignment I'm fulfilling and I still wish I could be home for that basketball game because I hate missing my kids' basketball games. And, right. But I will tell you, when I am around and able to go, I'm at the basketball games or I'm at the performance or wherever. And the most beautiful part of this whole crazy few years for me is I went from being home, like religiously stay-at-home mother, to, oh my gosh, I'm leaving my kids and feeling terrible for it, to, well, maybe I have something to offer the world in addition to my home, to now I realize, like, I kind of want to just go back home. Yeah. And and that that I can kind of set the parameters of, you know, people say, do you want to come speak? Or are you willing to do this or that? And I'm kind of like, hey, call me back in five years because my little people will get bigger. But I've also recognized that if I if I go completely back just home, that I, I do struggle. I enjoy being with other people. I am a teacher at heart. I love opportunities to speak because to me, it's just teaching. I love being with youth. High school and college kids are like my energy. And I'm coming to realize maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have really important work to do at home. And I also have really important work to do somewhere else. And sometimes one takes priority and one takes priority. It doesn't ever mean my kids aren't priority. But it might mean that in the given moment, you know, perfect example. And if my son Lincoln's listening, he's not going to be surprised to hear this. But he's not listening, so that's fine too. <laughs> we had in our church a cool pre-missionary conference. People mm-hmm. familiar with the LDS church know that we often send young people out on proselyting missions to teach about Jesus Christ. I, as a mother, will admit I would love for all of my children to choose to go on missions and teach mm-hmm. about Jesus for a year or two. I, I will admit that. I also recognize each of them will choose, and, and I hope they know that that is. And I've tried to let them know. It's their choice. I'll respect Mm -hmm. that. And you're invited to Sunday dinner either way, right? Mm -hmm. Well, our local area had kind of a youth conference set up for Mm -hmm. the teenagers Lincoln's age and all about missions and how awesome. And I'm like, the the me and me is like, oh, this is like a kid's dream versus Lincoln (laughs) who's like, that sounds like purgatory, you know? (laughs) And ironically, I had planned months and months before a trip to Legoland with my sister and all the little kids, Mm -hmm. knowing that the teenagers would stay home and that'd be fine. So I found myself in a predicament. I know that if I go to Legoland with these little kids on this trip, we've planned for a very long time. He's not going. That leaves Lincoln home to, mm-hmm. to really choose for himself. Mm-hmm. And not only can I not control it, but I might not even know. So we went to Legoland. I realized I had, I can't force this, this is big huge growth one. for you. Huge growth, right? <laughs> Jenny, I'm cheering for you. Yay. So I went, I'm cheering I for went, Lincoln. <laughs> I went to Legoland. We enjoyed the time with the kids. I will admit I did feel a punch to the gut when I saw the Be Real role come up with my other son with his brother mm-hmm. in the truck taking a picture of not the missionary youth conference, mm-hmm. which I already knew he wasn't going to go, but it just, it still hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the twist to the story is this. The ecclesiastical leader over that missionary conference asked if I would come to the closing night, which was after we got home from Legoland. 
and share a message with these young people about my own thoughts of, I did serve one of these missions. It's, it's mm-hmm. hugely impacted my life 20 years later. And he asked if I would share some thoughts with the young people. And I was like clapping with excitement. I've never been so happy for a free speaking gig in my life. But in the moment, it was also the punch in the stomach too. but my own kid's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. And so I arrived at the event. I, I had so many ideas. I was so excited to share. I was just thrilled. And I walked in the building and felt that punch. So like, why does this matter? I mean, in our culture, we say over and over again, no success can compensate for failure in the home. And I failed in the home and I'm beating myself up. My son's mm-hmm. not here. And who cares if I can inspire these other kids, if my own kid, and this is the narrative mm-hmm. in my head. And I had to push through it. That's the growth. Mm-hmm. I still went in. I sat and ate with those young people. I had to set Lincoln aside and let him be Lincoln mm-hmm. and accept the fact that it was his choice. And I can't say I believe in choice and then not give him a choice. And then I spoke to these young people. I spoke like 20 minutes. It wasn't like this big thing. I know for a fact I gave a powerful message. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact young people in that audience were impacted by what I, by what I had to say. Sure. And I and still went home kind of sad mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm like, if only my own kid would listen to that, I would feel so much better. But it was later that night when that same ecclesiastical leader was thanking me for the remarks that I realized, like, yes, my kids are my kids, but also kind of we all live on this same giant planet. Mm -hmm. And I can't not contribute to someone else because I'm so worried that that same contribution doesn't fit my own kid. Mm -hmm. Because hopefully somebody else's contribution is going to influence my kid in a positive way. And most likely to whichever is his way. Right. Right. Which isn't my way. And that, again, like you've said before, we can logically know something Mm -hmm. and still have a hard time stomaching it. Like, I logically know all of this. But this was very recent, very practical. And very real. And very real to where I could say, you know what? And it's okay that you felt hurt. And you, yes, you wanted, but your I didn't child need to, to just go home and just right. sit by Lincoln and say, Lincoln, here's what I would have said if you came tonight. Right. I could let him not be there. Mm-hmm. I could share what I had to contribute to someone else. And then I could trust in the whole giant karma grand scheme of God's plan that we're all on this journey and we have to be ourselves and we mm-hmm. have to be impacted by what impacts us. And me lecturing Lincoln's not going to do one bit of good. Yeah. But me not sharing with those young people in that audience who chose to be there. That wouldn't have been very good either. Yeah. And so I'm I'm feeling more confident that, of course, my top priority are my children and my home. I also have things to contribute to the world. It's very symbiotic. Mm-hmm. And and it is easy to get swept one way or the other sometimes. And you, it's, it's a constant balancing act. Yeah. You're constantly adjusting the sales. And, and right now I'm kind of like, I just... I'm going home. PTA helped because you're volunteering at PTA, which means you got to be home. Can't be out of town too much. Yep. And I've recognized how much I love that. I love being with these young people. I love being with the teachers. My teacher heart still gets energized by that. And there's ways I can give more to my children by letting myself also be contributory to the world around me. And Absolutely. I don't know that 20-something-year-old Jenny knew that. Yeah. I think 20-year-old something Jenny felt home was home and that was the most important and because it's the most important I'm putting up the walls and that's where my contribution stops. And I would say the home is the most important. It is. But how we Never question we, that. we get to yeah having the best outcome for what right. is most important can be very different from very all different. of us just like our grief journeys. Just like our grief and journey. And just like the evolution of our yeah. life's post grief the evolution yes. of parenting Pre-grief. is kind of the and same those, thing, right? I don't for a minute regret those 15 years. I don't yeah. think oh I should have been teaching school or I should have been no. I was where I was, mm-hmm. where I was guided to be, where my heart and, and where what was right for our family and our dynamic and our relationship. 
And that is still true today, yeah. even though it looks very different. And that, I think, is the permission I've learned or I'm learning mm-hmm. to give myself that what's right for a time might come. What, what did our recent guest say? What, what works today might not work tomorrow. Yeah. What's right today might be different yep. tomorrow. And that's okay. Absolutely. That's where I'm getting growth and evolving in my grief and involving in my own journey. Again, it's almost empowering. I feel this exhilaration, like I have something to offer the world. Of course, I want to offer my children something. And I'm not naive enough to think that my teenagers are only going to listen to me. In fact, they're probably going to listen to anybody but me. So exactly right. Good journey. That is so awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for with... letting me ramble on and on. <laughs> Michelle, by the way, Michelle is a fabulous life coach. If you don't know this, she's just come <laughs> become like officially completely certified through the Jay Shetty School of Coaching, which is top of the top. And she, even without the coaching, already had the knack to look in your soul and get you to tell things about you. You'll notice she hardly talked today and I've like spilled my whole life story. There's something about you, Michelle, that invites self-respection in a verbal way. That I just leave feeling like, oh, that was good therapy. Thanks, Michelle. I'm sure you should bill me. But if anybody's looking for some life coaching in, in resilience and self-awareness and parenting and in motherhood and just life at all, call Michelle because she will look into your soul <laughs> and you will leave feeling better for it. So that's my plug. I, I don't. It's definitely a gift. And it's one I've had my entire life. With and now I've just decided to embrace it and understand that this is my rule. And it's my purpose. And um, a gift you've had your entire life that you've decided now to embrace. Another (laughs) t-shirt. We really got to get the merch going. Okay. If you've liked what you've heard today, you can subscribe for free on any platform where you follow your favorite podcast. Give us a rating and a review. It helps us move up. And I don't know if you all know this, but last November we were 28th on Apple for self-help podcast Isn't that crazy like yeah. people a little applause right there That's i know amazing. I, i'm huge I'm giving shout it. out to our producer kelly on halverson who makes 100, that possible a hundred percent i show up and chat but she is the girl behind the scenes she does the graphics she does happen. the, the Thank clip you, kelly she does she is fantastic amazing she's telling and us to stop talking so i guess we'll wrap it up <laughs> she doesn't like it when we go on and on about her but we can't give her enough applause so anyway give us a rating review help us grow this podcast If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, there's a little tab at the top of uh, the Facebook Relentlessly Resilient page. Just click on it. You can schedule a 15-minute phone call with me. Tell me what lesson of resilience in your story that you'd like to share with our audience. We've all gone through really hard things. How have you decided to take it? this traumatic thing in your life, the hard lesson. It doesn't have to be about loss. It could be really about anything. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't even have to be tragic. But what did it teach you and how are you living your best life and moving forward? You can contact us again on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. On Instagram, there's a link to book a call as well. And whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their lives. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and 
get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.